So um, in going through this series on the book of Acts, um, and especially these last three or four now, I'm talking about living a life on purpose. Um, and then coupled that with the, the class that many of us are with, that the call to mission, and about sharing our faith, it's really kind of prompted in my mind some stories. And I want to tell you a story today about a remarkable event that took place on an airplane, which leads perfectly into this, the main idea that I want to share. And as we go through the passage today, you'll become clear. So uh, this is a number of years ago, and myself and another pastor that I'm serving with, we are getting ready to get on a plane to go to a conference. And it must have been me who booked the tickets because I used to have a tendency to wait too late. And so because of that, we got the very last row of the plane, you know what I mean? And so, so naturally, I am stuck against the window of that plane, you know, like right there it is. And uh, as we're getting ready to, to take off, there comes down the aisle, um, two gals are probably in the late 20s, something like that, and they, they sit down, one on the aisle seat of our row, and then the aisle seat across from us. And as it typically happens, you get these, these short conversations, you don't know how long they'll last, but this, this one gal turns to my friend and says, so what do you guys do for a living? And he said, we're pastors which naturally or actually most oftentimes is a conversation killer right there. You know, wall. You know, that type of, that, sometimes that happens. But this time, something very remarkable happens. She lights up and she said, really? My friend and I, we just enrolled in a, in a community college class on the life of Jesus. Can you tell us more about Jesus? <laughs> no, so, you know, we look at each other like, is she putting us on? I, I you know, where's the camera? You know, it's like, that's just amazing. And so he kind of looks at me and he goes like, hey, you take this. I'm like, well, yes, of course. And so for the next, the rest of the flight, we're talking to them about Jesus. These are people that, that you could tell they didn't know anything because they're going to a community college class to learn about Jesus. So obviously they didn't know much. It was fantastic. But as I was kind of processing this, the thought kind of came to my mind, like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I don't think I've ever had somebody approach me like that. It's pretty amazing. And I kind of thought, he wasn't ready? I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, you're never going to get an opportunity like that again. And, you know, to defend him a little bit, you know, he was certainly caught off guard. I mean, it was certainly surprised us. And he's a gifted pastor, and God has used him in many ways. But it just kind of reminded me of this. And that is that God is always at work around us. He is, isn't he? And you know what he's also doing? Because he's, he's actually told us in his word what the purpose of that work would be. Number one is this, that he would be advancing the gospel in our lives. And that he'd be advancing the gospel through our lives. So this series on life on purpose, we're going to take a look at the life of Peter. And I've got about two chapters worth, so it's going to be big and fast and things like that. But I wanted to define what I mean by that when I talk about advancing the gospel. Advancing the gospel, what I really mean by that is that God is at work to change us and mold us, whereby our lives are more and more in conformity to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That more and more, our hope would be in Jesus and him alone, for life, for purpose, for meaning, for all those things, that our lives would be more and more in line with that, that our identity would be found in him and who he says we are, and not the things of the world, and finally that our purpose would be in him 
more and more that we grasp what his purpose is for us, those eternal purposes. Scripture tells us this over and over again. And I'm going to actually have up on the screen, I think we're ready to go with the Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And this is just a great way of describing exactly what I'm talking about. And it says, and, and all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That verse, kind of, you remember that verse? Many of us probably know that verse. And probably it's a different version than what I've got in my mind. But some of us don't know what comes next. See, that 828 is often what we say when we've gone through a rough time or somebody we know has gone through a rough time, and we say, God will redeem these things in your life so that good things come out of it. But then the very next verse says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform us to the image of his son, saying this, that his purpose, as he desires to work in your life, he wants to turn you more and more into looking like Jesus. That's what he he desires to do. So you can track the things in your life and how God is working, and it's to that purpose, to that end. And then beyond that is something that's really clear that we've been talking about, so that then he might advance the gospel through you as well. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Right there in the middle of it, there is one command, and that is to make disciples of all nations. That word nations is actually ethnos. That's where we get the the word ethnicity. We're going to take that and put it up on a shelf because we're going to come back to that a little later, so remember that part. But then, of course, the theme verse in many respects for the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which basically says, And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So God has been makes it very clear what his purpose, his intention is in your life, in our lives, that he may do that in us, and he may do that through us. So my job this morning is to be faithful to what Scripture has to say. So I'm going to invite us to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray for me that I would do that. And, and, but I'm also going to pray for you, and I invite you to pray for yourself, that if there's something that God wants you to hear this morning, you would hear it. So let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for that we can come to you knowing you listen and knowing with great clarity, Father, what your purposes are for our lives. Um, you don't leave that as a mystery. Um, sometimes, God, we resist it. Sometimes it's hard for us to hear and to know because of distractions. But I pray, Father, that again, for me, as I communicate, God, what your word has to say, help me to be accurate, help me be careful. Um, and I would ask, Father, for everyone in the room, um, there's a reason you brought them here for this today, um, for a variety of reasons, but there might be something specifically that you want to say to them. I invite you, go ahead and just pray. God, help me to hear what you want me to hear this morning. Just go ahead and pray that. I also invite you, just pick somebody else in the room and pray that same thing for them. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. So we mentioned that Nate ended last week with chapter 9, verse 31. If you've got a Bible, come and grab it and open it up. Like I mentioned, we've got a lot of, um, there's quite a bit of scripture we're going to go through, but I'm going to repeat verse 31 for a specific reason. 
And this is what it says. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. Obviously, the story last week is the chief protagonist, the one who is arresting and grabbing Christians, uh, he's become one of us. And so because of that, obviously the persecution has lost significant momentum. And so there's a different time period now that we're in. However, when we say, and it says here, Luke says, and it multiplied, meaning the church, it has multiplied, but not yet to all ethnos, all ethnicities. That has not happened yet. And that's one of the reasons why Luke begins to tell a series of stories. And we're going to go through four stories. The first two are setting up how God is working to begin, like I mentioned before, to advance the gospel in Peter's life so that we get to chapter 10, which is a dramatic chapter. It is pivotal in the life of the church and is so significant that the fourth church, the fourth um, story that we're going to talk about in chapter 11 is really the church saying, what just happened? That, chapter 11 is like, what just happened? We don't get it. And they've got to process that. So that's where we are. So here we go. Verse 32. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, granted, I'm not probably going to give uh, the proper attention to these first two stories as much as they deserve because of the volume they're trying to get through today. But there are some significant things here we just need to grab a hold of. If you recall, in Acts chapter 8, the very beginning, that's when the persecution breaks out. And it tells us, Luke tells us, that the Christians are scattered, and they go about preaching the word, but the apostles stay in Jerusalem. So last time we saw Peter was there. He is in Jerusalem and only leaves Jerusalem because he's summoned to Samaria to figure out what's going on with the Samaritans. But now we advance here to chapter 9, and we see Peter now is he's going here and there. He's left Jerusalem. He's out there. Matter of fact, he's in Lydda, and Sharon are somewhat coastal towns, so they're a little bit further away from Jerusalem. And what we discover is that that population is, is, is more Gentile. And it also says this, and the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So there's a significant story that's being told, but it also means that there are others of other ethnicities that are hearing this story. And like I said, God has got to do a work in Peter to transform him to get ready for this so that it'd be advanced, the gospel would be advanced through him in a remarkable way. So we're going to jump right there into verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So here we have 
this kind of this, this thing starting to happen where he's summoned to this other town by a couple of people who are responding probably to, to this need. Joppa is right on the seaside. That's going to be important for us to look at. So he says, please come to us without de- delay. So, verse 39, Peter rose and went with them. And we had, when he had arrived, he, t- he took him to the, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed at Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So we have two miracles that take place. Um, Luke expresses these um, for probably a variety of reasons. Um, Sometimes he doesn't tell us what that miracle is. In chapter 2, verse 32, it says, And many signs and wonders are done through the apostles. Middle of chapter 5, many signs and wonders are done through the apostles. They're not listed, but we have these. I think, once again, because there's laying a groundwork for what he's got to do, God's got to do in Peter's life. But I want you to notice one thing. I mentioned Joppa being a seaside, right? Okay, it says, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon. He, this, is a, this is a Jewish man, probably a follower of Christ. That's probably why he did, because again, it tells us that Peter would stay with saints. And it says, a tanner. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, a tanner is somebody who goes down to the beach every single day, okay? It is by the seaside, but that's not what that means. A tanner is somebody who works with animals to take their skins and, and turn them into leather and things you can use like that. So to do that, obviously this animal has to be dead. Which means that if you deal with dead animals and you're Jewish, that says you're unclean. You're defiled. In the Old Testament, there's many, many stories and, and, and descriptions about what makes a person clean or unclean. Touching dead animals makes you unclean. Let's take that and put that up for a little bit later to talk about. So, now, here we go. This is the turning point, a huge turning point in the life of the church, chapter 10. Here we go. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, something that we need to kind of just remember on a side note when this description, he is a devout man, he fears God, he gives alms, he prays continually, he has a conversation with an angel, he still needs Jesus. He's not saved. He has not been redeemed. He's not been purchased yet. He's not, he's not one of a follower of Christ yet. We know this specifically because next chapter, he will say basically that, He's instructed to send to get this guy named Peter who will come 
and give a message by which he will be saved. So there, he still needs Jesus. But God is summoning. God is working. But God's got to get somebody to bear witness to him. And he's got to do a work in somebody who would be willing to go. So the next day. Oh, sorry. Let's jump back down to verse uh, um, in the middle of verse 4. And he said to him, your prayers and your... Okay, no, sorry, verse 5. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simer who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, there he is, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city... Peter went up on the household about the sixth hour, it's around noon, to pray. And he became angry. I'm sorry, angry. He became hungry. Maybe he became hangry. Who knows? Okay. Um, and he wanted something to eat. But while, they were, while, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Again, let's do a little bit of a quick lesson about the Old Testament and the law in the Old Testament. There are certain animals by which you can touch, use, and eat for Jews, and some you cannot and if you become unclean, you are, in a sense, defiled. God provides for a way you become clean again. There's provisions for that, but it could be a time period or until such you've done what is required of you, which means you cannot participate in the ceremonial worship of the Lord. So that is an issue. And so Peter's saying, I would never eat those animals. That's, that's not something I would do. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, when Peter, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he might, might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you looking for, whom you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius of Centurion, an upright and God-fearing man. By the way, Peter knows they're a Gentile. He can tell by their experience by their, just their appearance. Then it's confirmed when he hears about this guy that has sent them, Cornelius. And it says that he was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, 
I, too, am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call, here we go, any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why did you send for me? How do we know? How do we know when God is really working in our lives, when he is doing that work in advancing the gospel? The first one is this, is we begin to begin more and more led by the Holy Spirit. What is interesting about that is that Peter models for us what it's like to be led by the Holy Spirit. First of all, he opens himself up for that. Now, we can pray as we go, and that's good, but it's clear how important it is that we give undivided attention to the Lord. Windows of our lives where we say, God, speak to me through your word and through the time in prayer. That happens to Peter because he's spending time at noon giving his undivided attention to the Lord. It's something that he even saw his Lord doing. Think about this. Jesus on this planet, while even God, God's son, the God-man, he spent time undivided to listen to his father. Mark 135, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5.16, and he would depart unto desolate places where he prayed. So Peter would see that Jesus expressed that need. And how much more so for us? The need, if we're going to listen to how God wants to work in our lives and shape us, we need time undivided with the Lord so that he may speak to us. That is why, with incredible confidence, this is what happens. Peter was pondering the vision the Spirit said to him. And he knows it's God speaking to him. He recognizes the voice of God. Jesus tells us in, in, um, in John chapter 10, he, he's a good shepherd. And my sheep follow me, and they know my voice. Where are you cultivating your ability to recognize God's voice? Most oftentimes it's in those undivided attention given to God. And so then he responds to that. He responds to what God is saying, and I'm going to go do that. Um, I know that time-wise, it's crunching here, so I'm going to just do really quickly to say, this is the thing that we can do in terms of understanding, is this God speaking to us? We find it here um, lived out, but in principle, there's really three things. One, is this the kind of thing that Jesus has done? Peter goes, yeah, I've seen you deal with Gentiles and respond to Gentile need. This is the kind of thing that, that Jesus commands us to do. This is the kind of thing that Jesus would have commanded to do. And number three, is it really about God and not about me? And I love how Peter basically says, when he comes into the room full of people and they're grateful to see Peter, and Cornelius bows down at his feet, and Peter goes, whoa, 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 stand up. I too am a man. I'm just a man. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. So, here we go. Verse 30, And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. 
He is lodging in the house of, a, of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. You can see the evidence that God is wanting to advance this gospel, and he needs to get somebody there who will respond to that. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Do you hear the first thing out of his mouth? The first thing out of his mouth. I got to look at people differently. The first thing out of his mouth is, is hey, I'm here to tell you. First thing out of his mouth is, God's changed me. I'm different now. God has done a work in my life. But in every nation, every ethnos, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He launches into the gospel. He launches into that gospel. And I'm going to skip right ahead to verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him recognizes, receives forgiveness of sin through his name. When he says everyone, I want you to know that to him being a Jew and to all the other Jews and believing Jews, this has been the history that they believe the gospel, the message, the Messiah was for them. That's how long they believed that. That's how pervasive that idea had been in their minds. And now God has changed this guy so that he might change the church, so he might advance the gospel. What does it look like to see the gospel advancing in our lives and in us and through us? We'll overcome gospel barriers. We overcome gospel barriers, and one of the biggest things is biases. Viewing people as clean or unclean, defiled or unfiled, or having worth or not having worth. As is what happens to me, as I'm preparing for this message yesterday, I have an encounter with three people that, in the flesh, I don't want to hang out with. And God tells me once again, you know what? Everybody has value. Everybody has worth. Why not give as much attention, care, and love to that person as you would your favorite person. The other one that's really interesting, and I think it's a huge one that plays itself out in Peter's life, is the fear of man. This is fascinating because when he comes in, he goes, now you know that I really shouldn't be here. That's kind of Peter's take. By the way, I really shouldn't be here. I just want you to know I shouldn't be doing this. Because he lives with that, probably like you and me, the fear of man. Remember, Peter's the guy that swears that he doesn't know Jesus to a servant girl who goes, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? Weren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, I'm not one of those guys. And I want to tell you something remarkable about this guy, Peter, who is just like you and me. He's going to tell this story in chapter 11. He's going to tell this story briefly in chapter 15, which is the Council of Jerusalem. It is the Congregational meeting of congregational meetings. That the Gentiles are to belong into the kingdom of God. 
And then years later, this guy Peter is going to be going throughout the Galatian region. And because of the influence of Judaizers saying, you've got to become a Jew before you become a follower of the Messiah, he stops eating with Gentiles. Does he live with fear of man? Yeah, he does. Um, a couple weeks ago, Matt Brown texted me a, um, a, an interview that a prominent pastor had. And in that interview, he's asked what he would tell the 20-year-old version of himself. So Matt and I kind of exchanged back and forth a little bit about what we would tell ourselves in our younger days. Um, and one of the things I said is that I would tell myself to get over caring about what people think of me as fast as possible. Because it's a barrier. It's a hindrance to what God wants to do in me and through me. We've got to get over that. And so even we see this glimpse that Peter jumps in and does that. That's great. But what's interesting is that we will also see, in terms of the gospel working in us and through us, that we will take risks for the sake of the gospel. It's a very simple thing. Verse 34, how does it start? It starts off, so Peter opened his mouth. Isn't that cool? Peter opened his mouth. And sometimes that's the risk that we take. We just open our mouth. We just, we just do something. We just act upon it. Um, I got this text. Um, oh, my wife texted me a few minutes ago too. Thank you, babe. Uh, I got the, we got the, there's a number of us that got this text, and it's, it's from Kyle. Where's that, Kyle? Yeah, you know Kyle. So um, this is a couple weeks ago, and I asked permission if I could share this with him because he sent it to, uh, to myself and to put some other guys that, um, uh, in a discipleship group that we meet with. And he says this. He says, hey, fellas, sorry I didn't make it this morning. I wanted to tell you that the Lord is good. I had this strong feeling like the Lord wanted me to get this guy's food that was behind me in the line at Safeway on my way to work, to, to, on my walk to work this morning. At first, I was terrified because I had no idea how he'd react or whether or not he needed it. But when I saw the way he re- reacted, it was obvious that the Lord knew what, that he was in need. My fear, it's real, soon turned to gratefulness to our king for prompting me. I told him it was because of Jesus. His name was Gilbert. See, sometimes we're going to be allowing God to work in us and through us. We've got to take risks. Um, sometimes we've got to open our mouths. And we find God is doing what he does. And so we get to verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who, were, all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them all to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. You and I look back in at 2,000 years, we probably cannot even comprehend how big of an event this was. As a matter of fact, Luke, what he does throughout um, the book of Acts, he says there's one way to verify, in fact, if God has worked 
in a person or a people group? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives? And it's the clincher. That's the clincher for Peter, and it's the clincher for the Jerusalem church. Because sometimes when we are advancing the gospel, we get opposition because we take that risk, and sometimes it comes from within. Verse, chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were, were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You went to those common, unclean people. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in a city of Joppa praying in a trance, in a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came to me. He's telling this same story again. For time's sake, I'm going to jump ahead. And says, and we look at verse 11 then. And behold, at this very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction, no partiality, no clean, no unclean. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. God is saying, I intend to advance the gospel, and I'm looking for a volunteer or some volunteers. And I've assigned Peter to this task. And I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So this past week, my wife and I were, um, we did kind of the, the, the Midwest, both sets of parents trip, okay? And Sherry lost her, her mom about a year and a half ago, so we visited her dad. About six or eight weeks ago, he was diagnosed with stage three bladder cancer. He's 86 years old. So, in his in true spirit with him, with Bill, my father-in-law, he's like, I'm at peace. So, um, one of the days, I'm outside and I come in, I hear him on the phone. And he's talking to the HOI president of his condo and uh, there's no indication that she knows the Lord or anything like that. And he's just simply saying, you know, I've got a sense of peace. I belong to Lord. Jesus has saved me. I know where I'm going. Whatever. And I think, you know, it's amazing how when we yield our lives and say, God, do, you, can, you have full authority and right to do whatever you want in my life. That may take you through some difficult times, through some challenging times. 
some things that you would never sign up for. Our God is a God who says, I want to work in you. I want to transform you. And I want to use you for all of eternity. This communion that we're about to partake in in the next minute or two is a great fitting way for you to once again declare your hope in Jesus alone. And for you to say, Lord, as I take these elements, I realize you gave yourself, submitted yourself to your Father in the plan that he had for you. Because of that, I've been redeemed. And I want to do the same thing. I want to yield my life, God, completely to your purposes for me. Let's pray.